We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Experience. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience, presented by DraftKings 2022 Best DraftKings, Best Ball Stacks, Late Round Wide Receivers, and Strategy, Tight End Strategies, and the Do Not Do's of your Best Ball Drafts this season. How do you become a better DraftKings Best Ball player in 2022? Well, on the line with me, I have from EstablishTheRun.com, Justin Herzig, one of the best best ball players in the world. He's probably won the most money of anyone across all of the sites, and he came fourth in the main event on DraftKings last season. He's hoping to improve on that this year. He's here to impart some of the tips. You missed part one of the overall strategy and running back strategy. Justin was kind enough to give us the goods on that. You can hit the description, find the link to part one, or check out the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast feed. It's up there right now. Rate, review, and subscribe to that, or the Pat Mayo Experience on Mayo Media Network on YouTube, where you're probably watching this right now so sub to the channel set those reminders the entire draft guide is down in the description and comment section as we speak so once you finish this one boom on to the next one because we have the best guests from the industry lined up on the line talking to us at all times so without further ado let's get to justin Let's discuss week seven correlation in full because you've been over it. You put out a quiz to people. Uh, you basically became Sporkle all of a sudden. And to <laughs> memorize this stuff as you go into drafts, hey, it's better than having an, an alternate window open. Not everyone just having the two screen experiences when they're drafting. Or maybe they have their laptop and their phone in front of them when they're doing these drafts on DraftKings for best ball contests. But knowing that we don't know everything. Or even probably, you know, it's it's a very minuscule amount of what we can actually project into the future, being it's June and we're trying to project out into New Year's Day. And I think that's very important when it comes to Week 17. Not that, you know, people aren't going to be doing much on, besides watching football, on New Year's Day. But 
Do you put much stock, because you mentioned game conditions a little bit earlier, and then you have a situation like the Seahawks and the Lions, a game that no one really wanted. Are there contrarian ways to stack your Week 17 lineup? And how much do game factors play a condition? Like, for example, the Dolphins are playing the Patriots in Week 17. That's going to be outdoors in Foxborough in Week 17. Maybe not the best scoring conditions for either one of those two. Maybe it is. Maybe it's a great day, and but just... Thinking about it, it's probably going to be really cold. Could be mucky, could be snow. Maybe not optimal for scoring. Where then you have like the Cardinals and the Falcons. Well, that's going to be indoors. That sounds great. Those are potential two high-octane offenses, even if we don't know who's playing quarterback for the Falcons at the time, because we don't know that as of right now. Will Kyler Murray still be healthy? Will he even be on the Cardinals? Probably. Will he be on the field? That we don't know. But that just seems like such a better game scenario. That one's probably likely going to be very popular. You have the Ravens outdoors. Even the Chiefs outdoors, that's a little bit better. The Giants outdoors against the Colts. Then you have Panthers against Bucks. It could be pouring rain in Tampa Bay that day and quell scoring conditions, but it's probably not going to be minus 35 out. Yeah, and I think the way that I break it into is what can I be certain about and what can I not? And so you start off with the things that you have certainty around, and those are the matchups, so you know who's playing each other. And then the second is, yeah, you know where that game is being played, whether that's an indoor stadium, whether it's a warmer weather and things like that. So like those are important. That's what I'd say the, the, the sharper players and the giraffes in the pool are all considering. The second is, okay, well, what am I uncertain about, but maybe I can at least make projections on um, which team is going to be good. Who's going to be playing. Who's going to like what that game environment is going to look like. Those are things I can project. And so for me personally, and just kind of what I've learned from looking at, you know, past year's data is defense is probably the most difficult to actually project. So if we take a look at like the matchups and such, and we're like, okay, uh, we know that maybe that Tampa defense has gotten really good the past two years. They're especially really good against the run so forth. So like, trying to project that they're going to maintain this same defensive style and this same defensive officially efficiency. That's not something that is year over year sticky year over year, easy and great to predict. Now offenses, offenses are sticky year over year offenses. We are able to kind of be a better at projecting. So that's where I'm going to make a little more bets is that, Hey, an offense that was good last year, an offense that we are projecting to be good this year because of some changes they made new QB, you know, Russell Wilson going over to Denver, maybe they become more pass heavy. Those are things that we are better at projecting. So I'm willing to kind of use that a bit more in my process. Um, and so I think that's where it's that, that blend of, okay, we know the things that we know, let me leverage that. And now let me see what I can actually start projecting. And again, we mentioned that rookies thing. We mentioned, I'll go back to that Cleveland, Washington. Like if these are two teams that you don't think are going to be in the playoffs, well, think about, okay, what is that game going to look like? All right. Well, if neither of the teams are really playing for much, Maybe we are giving these uh, younger players a bit more playing time. Maybe it's uh, a bit of a, um, you know, you're not playing with the level of competitiveness. And so maybe they're going to have the ability to kind of just, hey, burn, go for some deep balls or something. I don't know. But like, I'm definitely not saying that uh, I have some substantial accuracy at this, but these are the things, the question that you should be asking yourself and just start trying to project of, hey, if this happens, if this is what that game environment looks like, who are the players from that game that I want on my team? Let's talk about stacks in general. I think we've talked around a lot of things so far in terms of how to draft running backs, uh, just the portfolio that you need to have. But stacking is going to be imperative to finding yourself atop these best ball standings on DraftKings. So 
what are the best stacks right now? We can obviously see by ADP what people think are the best stacks. Bill stack, Chief stack, Tampa stack, uh, the Chargers stack. These are all very popular. Which ones do you think that you would go out of your way to isolate, at least at this point of time early on, the more expensive stacks that are actually worth paying for? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, as we said, a lot of these are priced in. So, for example, your uh, you know Cincinnati stack, that's extremely expensive, but Jamar Chase being drafted as the one or two wide receiver overall. T. Higgins is still being drafted at like the, what, maybe sixth, seventh wide receiver overall, still pretty high up there. Like you are paying a very pretty penny if you want that one. And I think you got to think of it like a DFS lineup where, hey, when it's DFS, you have your salary pool. You're, um, if you're going to be able to get Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and Joe Burrow, you're not going to have much money for the rest of your team. And so even though you're getting this great stack, is that really worth it? Those are the questions that are difficult because then it's the same thing with your best ball lineup. Like, yeah, you're going to have these three great players, but also you're now going to be surrounding them with lesser talent. So what I'm looking for often is not so much like the, hey, high-end stacks that are already being overpriced, but maybe the ones that are more higher variants that have a chance at really outperforming. And I think two that really come to mind would be, Denver and New York, the Giants. So starting off with Denver, uh, you have four wide receivers that all are very good talent that we're not sure what's going to happen, but most likely one or two of those break out. Is it Judy? Is it Sutton? Is it Patrick? Is it Hamler? I'm not sure. And that lack of confidence is going to also scare some people away from drafting some of these pieces. And so for me, I'm not sure which one. I know Judy's being drafted the highest. Sutton's getting steamed and moving up there. But I just want to get a lot of pieces of this offense and hope that, you know, on some of the teams, I hit it correctly because you're making a bet on Russ. And like even beyond those pass catchers, you still have two fantastic running backs that are probably going to be sharing the ball. You then have two tight ends that are also getting positive reports. Like there is a lot of uncertainty around that offense. But if you hit it correctly, it can obviously be very valuable. And with the Giants, with the new coaching staff, with Daniel Jones, being a great late round value quarterback because of his rushing, if he can just protect the ball, if he can actually remain, uh, you know, remain started throughout the year and keep that kind of production going. Uh, there's a kind of, I call the giants like mini Denver because you have so many pass catchers there that similarly, we're not sure what it's going to turn out. But when you think of Kadarius Tony and how, you know, how, how effective he was when healthy and on the field last year, Kenny Galladay was a what, top 10, 15 wide receiver two years ago. Can he come back to that production? You then have the Wondell Robinson as maybe that new slot guy with the rookie. And then, hey, you still have Sterling Shepard and Darius Slayton, who historically have been able to produce well on the field, but coming back from injuries and such. So again, if that that's a team that I want to make bets on, and yeah, Daniel Jones may just not be good, and that offense just may not be good. But also, that offense could be, with the new coaching staff, with the better improved offensive line, maybe Saquon returns to form, and maybe that's a team that significantly outperforms, and now that's a stack I'm getting at a value, and I can say, hey, I got this stack, and I got my stud pieces from some other teams to match at the top. How do we go about stacking 
quarterbacks that we primarily want to use for their rushing ability. I'm just mainly thinking of Jalen Hurts in general. Do you have to put A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith with him? Is that maybe even Dallas Goddard at the same time? Or is there any sort of scenario where you would draft a QB that is not necessarily in a stack and you just rely on him to have these giant spike weeks and the, your other two stacks at the quarterback position to carry you through for the maximum upside? That seems counterintuitive, but is it just stupid to do or do you have to have those stacks? Yeah, to answer that, I'll take the opposite and say, okay, the, when I draft a Derek Carr, when I draft an Aaron Rodgers, when I draft even a Tom Brady or a Matthew Stafford, those QBs, if they're going to hit their top 10% of outcomes, if they're going to be a, you know, a great, you know, a great draft pick, their wide receivers, their tight ends, their pass catchers need to thrive. And so that's where I'm making sure that I'm pairing those with their stack partners. If I'm drafting a Trey Lance, a Jalen Hurts, a Lamar Jackson, the ones who could very easily have a great season because they put 10 rushing touchdowns on the ground, they could in week 17 have a great week where they have two rushing touchdowns. I still like to try to get at least one stack partner, but if I end a draft with just Trey Lance and no 49ers, I'm okay with that because I still think like, hey, Trey Lance can still have a great year. He can still have high weekly upside even if I don't have the Iuke or the Kittle or one of those kind of peripheral um, players of his. Trying to figure out who those quarterbacks are going to be, I think you hit on all of the main ones, but currently, per the Run the Sims baseline projections, Jalen Hurts is projected as the number four quarterback overall coming into the season. I wouldn't necessarily throw Kyler into that because it feels like he has been running less, and he tends to get hurt on a lot of these things. But Lamar is going at QB7 is projected at QB7. Kyler Murray is projected at QB number 8 right now. Then you have Trey Lance projected at QB number 12. Then you really kind of have to go down to find the next guy. You mentioned Daniel Jones. We have him projected at quarterback number 16. Justin Fields at quarterback number 17. So really what I want to talk about here are the stacks that no one really wants. How valuable could those be? Like, a jet stack, a Titan stack. You mentioned the commanders of Washington, the mighty historic commanders of Washington, a Carson Wentz stack. Maybe I really like a Trevor Lawrence stack if you can get that right. And how often with these crappy teams, do you need to have somewhat of a successful hit rate on them? Maybe it's a great week 17 matchup. Maybe it's a great playoff matchup and that can get you on them. Maybe they're muddled receiving cores like you talked about with Denver, but you have a really good idea of how to isolate the proper guys or the receivers are just going so late that you you can make it worth your while that you can really solidify your team with a great floor and upside up top and then take the Jag stack or the Texans stack a little bit later on because these no matter how bad the team is they're going to score points at some point and they're probably going to have a huge week or two how valuable is it to have one of those stacks at the back end that you can get a little bit for cheaper or are you just concentrating more on hey I know that these are going to be three of the highest scoring eight teams I need to have at least two of these team stacks right I mean I think we start off with we only know what we know, and we're not really sure which team is going to be great that we're missing out on. Even Detroit was not a good team last year, but they were still able to put up substantial fantasy points just because of the concentrated level of the offense and their need to kind of pat. And so I'm definitely not saying like, hey, these are the only certain teams that we know are going to be great I'm going to focus on. I love going for some of those teams that we don't feel as good about. But when I'm investing in them, I get the benefit of, investing low levels of draft capital. Like let's use Jacksonville as an example. Okay, Trevor Lawrence, you can get in like the middle rounds. And then what, Christian Kirk, he's going at pick around like 90, 100. You can get Zay Jones with basically the last pick there. And so do I think 
that like Trevor Lawrence is going to be able to create a season where Zay Jones and Christian Kirk and maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe you get another player or two like Ezekiel, I'm not Ezekiel, like uh, Travis Etienne because he's, uh, you know, getting those pass catches. Like, are they going to have a top five offense? No, probably not. But also you don't need them to have that top five offense because you drafted other great players and other great teams with your early picks and you're hoping for just maybe a top 15 with some spike weeks. And so that's where like, yeah, Zay Jones is basically an end of the draft pick. But if I have Trevor Lawrence, I definitely want to grab Zay Jones because yes, his projection is not great, but his range of outcomes is still there. Like at the end of the season last year, we saw him averaging six or so receptions a game, putting in some, uh, you know, putting in some like, actual deep, um, you know, downfield. So higher a dot plays, uh, he's a wide receiver who like maybe actually becomes a number two in that Jacksonville offense. And if Trevor Lawrence is having a great year, draft like you're right. We know Trevor Lawrence is now having a great year. Let me find who's going to help him get there. And Zay Jones may just be that key. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You mentioned the name Travis Etienne, uh, one of my favorites heading into the draft this season, especially with the uncertainty around James Robinson coming off that Achilles tear. Kind of turns out not everyone is Cam Akers and is going to come back. And even if they come back, they may be the least efficient running back in the league because they tried to come back from an Achilles tear after six months. That seems kind of crazy. Now, James Robinson will have more time than that moving forward. But still, he might not be 100% to start the year. And this was someone that, although it's an old regime, that the Jacksonville Jaguars did invest a lot of draft capital in. And we know that he has a connection with Lawrence and the receiving game prowess should be up there. And these receiving running backs, how often do they make it into your your stacks or do you just say you know what if I'm wrong about this and the running back ends up with 89 catches not everyone's going to be James White uh, when you draft a running back that should they be included in stacks or do you take them off the board for stacks 
Yeah. So when we think about stacks in best ball, we should actually be thinking about them a little different than we do with DFS. And I think Brian Tannehill and Derek Henry is a good example where in DFS, you're rarely going to play the two of them on an, any weekly basis because Derek Henry's best games are usually when they're ahead and he's running and they're just run, run, run. And like, you know, Tannehill's not going to have the greatest game. Tannehill also potentially steals touchdowns. Like those two inversely correlate. But across an entire season, a large enough that, hey, now you're making a bet on that offense being very productive, that offense being very efficient. And so, yes, in one individual game, Derrick Henry and Ryan Tannehill aren't going to likely have both great, great games. But across the season, they can both have really good games. So then in that situation where a running back who's not catching passes, they still go well together. Now, the challenge is we are playing for week 17. We need to beat 968 other teams. And now you're kind of hamstringing yourself a little with um, having those two players. But now let's do the same thing with the pass catcher. Now you've got the situation where with Etienne, with Lawrence, okay, Jaguars actually become a 10-win team. They way outperform. Both of those players are probably having great weeks. And now you also throw in that week 17 – Jacksonville plays Houston. That's going to be a bit of a, you know, hey, no one's really scared of Houston defense in past years. So maybe that has the opportunity to kind of turn into a shootout or something. And because we can have some touchdowns, maybe even two touchdowns that Etienne catches, Lawrence has that great game. We can see those two both performing together. So I guess my first test is that, like, hey, stacking can be anyone on a team because across a bit large enough season, we're just making bets on that team. And then if they also have that weekly potential correlation, that just gives it even a double check mark for me. How deep should some of these stacks go for your team? How much of your roster are you willing to allocate to one team's offense? I am really not that scared um, because if you are, I would say the better the team, um, if you're really, you know, hey, let's use Cincinnati. If you're really going hard on like Jamar Chase, T Higgins, Joe Mix and Joe Burrow, those would basically be your first four picks of the draft and very hard to get or such. Like, it's hard for in week 17, all of those guys to produce at the level that you need a first, second, third, and fourth round draft pick to produce at. So in that situation, I'm less likely to really try to grab all four. Um, and even to be honest, like, I, you know, grabbing three is probably okay, but I'm trying to make the point that when you're in draft, when you're investing top of draft capital, you need those guys to perform at that round value. I'm more likely to go deeper onto teams when I'm investing end of draft capital using the giants as an example for the giants to outperform their, proje- their projections. Maybe they need to finish the top 15, top 10 offense. And if they did that, well, just about everyone I'm drafting is outperforming their projections because they're all getting drafted so late. While first the Cincy, they can be a top five, top one offense, and it's still going to be very hard for each of those pieces to outperform their ADP because they're already so expensive. Are there any teams that you are legitimately staying away from this season that you just have a big red line through, or does that all depend on the value? really really never going to put a full x because at any point in the draft someone's going to have value from adp i would say there are teams that i'm just not drafting as much of but i mean seattle seattle's probably the biggest team that i would say it's just hard for me to really find pieces of that team that i like um they played so so slow last year um 
unless they, you know, bring in Jimmy G or Baker, like I don't see that offense really being productive. Um, but even all that said, Tyler Lockett's now being drafted in like the ninth or 10th round. Like there's a point where that's value. And even though he's not on a great offense, like you still have a very productive wide receiver who at some point I'm going to draft. So I would never X out an entire team, but there are teams that I'm probably shying away from, we would say. It's interesting to think about the Seattle situation because for years, one of the best things that you could have when you were trying to either triple stack or double stack on DraftKings would be this concentrated offense. We saw it for years with the Murray Cooper and Michael Crabtree in then Oakland. We saw it with Demarius Thomas and we saw it with Emmanuel Sanders in Denver for years that, hey, these guys are going to combine for 60% of the targets, maybe more. You're so very rarely going to find that on any team. It does feel like Seattle might be an interesting stacking opportunity because the third and fourth people in may not matter. It just might be Metcalf, if he's still there. And it might be Tyler Lockett. Everyone is relatively cheap. Can you pick right between Drew Locke and Geno Smith? Probably, if no one else comes in. Just go with Drew Locke and hope that works out. Maybe allocate a few Geno Smith teams along the way if you're willing to burn some money at the same time. It's all burning money, maybe, if you take Seattle. But I see very few offenses, although they might be slow, although the run rate might be high, that has that much concentration within the receiving game. It really does. And I mean, I, I have to think about it as a numerator denominator situation. The numerator is that concentrated offense that you, hey, you're expecting them to have that, you know, what, between uh, Lockett, Metcalf, and uh, oh, is it Gerald Everett? I'm trying to think who the, why the tight end is there. That's how little I've been drafting him. It is Noah Fant now. <laughs> there, there you go. That's right. The Noah Fant. Okay. Um, that's right. Gerald Everett is now with the Chargers. Um, and so between those three, maybe they do have that 50, 60%. But the denominator, the number of plays they're going to play, they're going to call, and the number of kind of passing is just so low from what I'm projecting. Again, could be wrong. And if we are wrong, now those all three of them have breakout potential. Um, I personally just believe that unless there's going to be a different quarterback, we're not going to see that offense substantially outperforming their ADPs. Maybe one player, maybe Lockett turns into a guy who's going to get eight catches a game just because they're all dunk offs and stuff. But uh, even that maybe moves him. So he maybe outperforms his ADP by a couple rounds, but to hit that kind of Cooper cup type season, just not going to happen. We currently at Run the Sims have them projected for 935 plays. I believe that is the lowest of any team with a rushing rate of around 47%. That does not sound like fantasy excellence. But as you said, we could be wrong about this stuff, right? 935. So that's about 55 per game. And you said rushing was around, what, 45? So yeah, we're talking 35 pass attempts per a game. That's... That's not a lot of fantasy goodness. Now, that is what we're thinking about going into the season. And we know with Pete Carroll, he is very much, as uh, as your guys' moniker would say, loves establishing the run. But maybe <laughs> Seattle's defense, I mean, it improved towards the end of last season. Let's just say it's bad. And they're playing against the Cardinals. They're playing against the Rams. They're playing against the Niners. they got six games against those three teams in particular. All pretty good teams with pretty good offenses that maybe they just find themselves down in games that they are forced to pass into the situation. I'm just trying to play out the very slim end of the bell curve that's the 95th percentile of how this goes right. And that might be the be the only 
only case scenario where that stack makes sense. But it does feel like one that I know, listen, everyone's going to take some sort of stack throughout the course of the draft, even the crappy ones. But this does feel to me with that concentration that if you were to get it right, especially with all the uncertainty in the backfield, where that just seems like a roulette wheel, not even knowing who's going to play or who's going to be on the team, you know that the two receivers in the tight end, they're going to be there. Outside of that, eh, who knows? And they get the New York Jets at home week 17. What that looks like now is a pretty juicy matchup for Seattle. And Seattle, although it might be raining, probably not going to be minus 30 on January 1st. Probably going to be like temperate with rain. (laughs) Exactly. And I mean, hey, I think these are the right conversations that we should be having because with Seattle, I'm probably very close to the general sentiment of the market on being very very bearish on them. Uh, But if you... Kind of, you know, push me on these. You have different views. You see a, uh, you know, you see a path to something other than what the market is seeing. That's your opportunity to really capitalize. The 122nd U.S. Open has concluded, and the champion has been crowned. Dewar's, the official Scotch whiskey of the U.S. Open and most awarded blended Scotch whiskey in history, is proud to congratulate the winner of this prestigious tournament. We're also proud to announce the limited release 2022 Dewar's 19-year-old Champions Edition, double-aged and then finished in new American oak and first fill rye cast for a profile as rich and complex as the game we all love. The 19-year-old Champions Edition is a truly remarkable experience, worthy of raising a glass to the glory of the U.S. Open and the champions it creates. Please join us in celebrating the winner as we all look forward to next year's tournament at the Los Angeles Country Club. Here's to a great Scotch whiskey, here's to golf, and here's to celebrating the best of the best in every regard. I recently received my Helix mattress in the mail. Came in a big box, and I've had it for probably about a month now. Super comfortable. Super easy to unbox, too. Kind of fun. And put it into the spare room, and I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to go try this out. Went and tried it out. Talked it over with my wife. Swap beds! Helix, now the main source of what Mayo's laying on at the household over here right now. Helix Sleep has a quiz that takes just two minutes to complete and matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. Why would you buy a mattress made for someone else? With Helix, you get your mattress that you know will be perfect for you when you sleep. I took the Helix quiz, and I was matched with the model of my choice because you know, it cooled me down during the night. I like it. You know, I don't like it too firm. I don't like it too soft. And all of a sudden, a mattress shows up that is tailored completely to me. I really love it. It's soft, but it still really supported my wife all in on it too. So if you're looking for a mattress, you take the quiz, you order the mattress that you're matched with, and the mattress comes right to your door, shipped for free. You don't ever need to go to a mattress store again. It's that easy. Just go to helixsleep.com slash mayo. Take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they'll match you to a customized mattress that'll give you the best sleep of your life. They have a 10-year warranty, and you get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it, but you will. Helix even has financing options and flexible payment plans, so a great night's sleep is never actually all that far away. Helix Sleep is also offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for all our listeners at helixsleep.com slash mayo. 
Like, if we're thinking about the crappy teams, I would much rather have Seattle than someone like Chicago, for example. Yes, Justin Fields could be a breakout. He could standalone be a fantasy superstar in that offense just based on his rushing ability and the way that he can throw a deep ball. Obviously, he's going to be very correlated with Darnell Mooney, who should lead this team in targets. I think that Darnell Mooney is being wildly overdrafted just independently of where he is going, where his actual skill set may lie within this offense. We do have them at 986 plays this season, running at around the same rate as Seattle, 45 to 47%. But this does feel like a big... Like, if I wanted anyone on the Bears this season, I think I would just want to randomly take a stab at Khalil Herbert and hope David Montgomery gets hurt. Yeah, I, I see that. Uh, Khalil Herbert's definitely a value. I think his ADP is somewhere around like 160 or so. Uh, we've seen he's been able to produce when David Montgomery did go, did go down last year. And we've also seen that offense really commit to the run. So from a value, from a handcuff, from an upside standpoint, I think Khalil Herbert is there. Uh, I also am taking stats on Justin Fields um, and don't need to be stacking it with anyone else just because we've seen what he can do with his legs. And that's the kind of great floor upside that you like to see where, hey, if he is able to put it together from an offensive standpoint, um, could get, you know, could give us a top 10, maybe even, you know, some top five games. Um, it's sad to see how little that team did to really set him up for success. Uh, not basically bringing in any of the uh, widely available kind of very solid wide receivers to uh, support him. It's unfortunate. So there on my can't-do list, I could probably be talking to the Texans, the Seahawks. All listen, no one loves crappy teams more than I do. So that's just my very biased opinion on it. Like, oh, maybe I'll be right about this, and then I'll be winning. And then it never turns out that way because I'll just end up losing anyway. Before, previously, in part one, you can hit the description of this to find the link to that show. Or just hit the Pat Mayo Experience audio feed to find it up there. If you want it in your earpods, walking around from your phone, you don't need to be watching. I would suggest that you watch. Smash the like while you're here and sub to the channel. But we talked about independent running back strategy of how to target different teams as a part of a non-stack. Are there wide receivers that are just one-off plays for you? And how do you go about drafting them? Because if you draft, let's say, at the top end, Cooper Cup, with pick number one, pick number two, pick number three, wherever he ends up going in the best ball draft on DraftKings that you are in do you then are you forced into a ram stack at that point or can you just have cooper cup on your team and that's fine yeah i mean i would say more than half of my wide receivers my players end up not being on a stack and that's perfectly okay um i have some players that i'm higher on than market and i'll probably end up with a few more of those on my team um, but in general, I'm not going to drafts trying to target them. A lot of it comes down to where there's ADP value. For example, I did a draft yesterday um, where, you know, hey, David Bell, as I'm going through the draft, I'm talking through and I'm like, I think David Bell's current ADP is higher than it should be because a lot of it was baked in that Deshaun Watson is going to play and the reports just continue to be kind of negative. Um, so I'm like, I don't want to draft David Bell at this place. And that was around ADP of like 160, 163. Uh, then two or three rounds later, he's still on the board. And now it's like, okay, well, he wasn't a value at the 160 part, but now at 184 or such, he is a value. So now I'm going to grab him. And no, I didn't have any... Um, QBs from that game. I actually ended up with a mini stack of also grabbing Brian Robinson with my last pick in that draft. And now you get a little of that Cleveland Washington mini stack correlation. But even though I didn't grab Brian Robinson, um, I still would have been okay with like, hey, just getting that value in that David Bell situation. 
Are there any, like, who are the targets for you so far, at least at their current average draft position that you would reach on a little bit? I continue to go back to the well, and you can talk about, uh, you can talk to this about with Leone, because we did this show last year, and we had a, it wasn't even a sizable wager. I think it was 100 bucks or 50 bucks. I had Brennan Cooks. He had Odell Beckham Jr. Now, Beckham did make a nice run towards the end, but he was no Brennan Cooks. People, once again, are disrespecting Brennan Cooks by the ADP, and it might seem high. I think it can only go higher. From here, Davis Mills is going to be better. He is one of the few players in football that could still have a 30% target share. Could he get hurt and be out and have a concussion? Yeah, of course he can. He's Brennan Cooks. He was relatively healthy last season, and I still think that he has gigantic upside. I think he's only missed four games in the last six seasons. Um, but, but you remember when he gets, like, his concussions exactly. were so bad, and they look so devastating that I feel like that lingers in your mind. It's like Percy Harvin. Like, I don't know how many games mm-hmm. he missed with migraines over the course of his career, but you always remember that he missed games with migraines, and that's always a concern moving forward. Stafford, for years, was like this, because I think that he ended up getting hurt his first two years in the NFL, and it was like, man, this guy is so injury-prone. He'll never lie. Last. You can't draft him. You're only getting eight games out of him. And I think he played like f- a full complement of games for like 10 years in a row now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and yeah, that's where, hey, what the market sentiment is, first base actual reality. Like, I think mean, that's very difficult. I think the fun conversation this year has been Traylon Burks versus Brandon Cooks. I mean, one, you have old and steady and consistent and just always manages to produce. And then you have this in a Tennessee offense that maybe playing the A.J. Brown role, maybe a run-first team, but substantial talent and upside. And, like, how do you evaluate those two? And so within, like, the ETR slack, we had people taking both sides. And so that'll be another fun one uh, to see how it plays out. Where do you, where would you lean in that situation? Because I'm seeing Brennan Cooks right now, average, average, average draft position on DraftKings best ball of 61. It feels like he should be going higher than that. Oof. 61's a lot though. Um, like for would me, you, indepe- uh, independently, would you rather have Gabriel Davis or Brennan Cooks? Oh, Gabriel Davis. No, no question no, there. No, no, I'll, I'll bet you on that one. Let's go hundred bucks on Let's that one. Let's do it. Okay. I like Deal. it. Uh, okay. hundred dollars on that. Maybe we'll do a sushi dinner or something next time I'm in town, but uh, no, I love it. And so the reason why I love the Gabriel Davis is that is the an offense that I think is going to be the top, if not one of the top three offenses in the league. I think he's immediately going to go into a role that has an opportunity to actually be the number one wide receiver on that team. Stephon Diggs is still amazing. Like, yes, Stephon Diggs is probably going to be it, but like he has that upside. And uh, so Gabriel Davis for me feels more like a league winner. And you know what? You, when we're making this bet, which is purely on a, hey, points per game or whatever, you know, the, the points per like between the two, I actually think Brandon Cooks has a better shot than how much I'd be willing to draft him. I'm drafting more Gabriel Davis because Gabriel Davis has a substantially better chance of finishing as a top five, top 10 wide receiver than Brandon Cooks. And I think you'd even agree with that. I do. I completely agree with you. And it depends on how you want to draft personally. It's just... There is, I think, not necessarily substantial downside with Gabriel Davis. If someone gets hurt, there's substantial downside with everyone. The thing that I worry about is that there are going to be these weeks where Gabriel Davis does not appear doing anything in your lineups because the Bills have myriad options, good options that they can go to. Or, hey, this is the Josh Allen game where he sneaks in three touchdowns. It's like, oh, great. This is how it worked out. Oh, it's the Dawson Knox two touchdown game. Houston doesn't have that luxury. It's going to Brennan Cooks. Yeah, and I think an interesting one would be if you would have said, hey, Justin, let's make a bet. Who has more games with higher points between Brandon Cooks and Gabriel Davis? I think then that'd be a very close one because to your point, like 
Brandon Cooks may have that more consistency. He may be getting the 15 each week. I, though, believe that Gabriel Davis is more likely to have those 25, those 30-point games that across the season give him that higher average. And then overall for best ball is also that much more important for the spike weeks. I agree to an extent. I guess my point with Cooks and why I'm not necessarily all in on Cooks, but he's one of my favorite players to draft at this position, even if it seems like he's somewhat overvalued, is I still think he possesses that massive upside just because of the volume that he's going to see. That just, you know, it's not like he's slow. He can, he can break out a 70-yard touchdown, no problem. He's still got that speed. So you do have those outlier games where not only is he going to see 13 targets, but he might also have 176 yards and two touchdowns at the same time. He is not immune to those games. Is it more likely in a better offense that Gabe Davis has it? Probably yes. But it's not to say that there is none of that potential with Brendan Cooks at the same time. Yep. Hey, I agree. I think Brendan Cooks is definitely a good pick. Uh but he's no Gabe Davis. All right. Well, we'll, we'll let the money do the talking at the end of the year. Is there anyone else in that range that you can see being like, hey, this is a one-off? Like Deontay Johnson, I think, is the more expensive version of Brendan Cooks in a way, although he might, he's probably more consistent week to week. But is Deontay Johnson someone who is a better season-long fantasy player for your lineup than trying to win a million dollars on best ball? Uh, yeah, I was going to go look at the ranking and like where I have those players and stuff. For Deontay, uh, I'm mostly staying away from that Pittsburgh offense. Um, I think Kenny Pickett's going to get the job pretty quickly and just don't have too much confidence in that being a highly efficient or a team that wants to really win games and shootouts. Um, that defense is still going to be very strong. And in that division, the way to kind of win what they've done historically is winning by that ball control, winning by kind of, uh, you know, hey, play, playing it a bit smarter. Deontay Johnson's value last year really came from the enormous target share that he was getting. And many of those were very, very low A dot targets. So highly success, high success rate there. Um, I just don't think we can really expect that to continue. Um, and also with a new quarterback, there's just a lot more of just uncertainty that, hey, maybe the offense just works a little different this year. Maybe Claypool actually does shine a bit more. Uh, maybe with the rookies they drafted, those get a bit more playing time. Um, that's where I'd say, like, I'm not fully in on Deontay. But, hey, if you are, I completely get it. Um, dude's a stud. I was looking through the late round wide receivers that maybe that I would want to be targeting. You mentioned David Bell and how he's now potentially slipping because of this uh, Deshaun Watson situation where he's just probably not going to play maybe all year at this point. Obviously, we don't know how this is going to turn out as of right now, but missing some collection of games seems like the most likely outcome of how this is going to go when we get to week one of the 2022 NFL season. Who are some of the later round quarterbacks? Non, Although you said the later round picks correlate those with your stacks. Are there any one-offs that you see with massive potential that you're even like, ah, I might not have... Kirk Cousins this year, but here's a guy on Minnesota that, hey, I would like to take a chance on in case Adam Thielen is washed and KJ Osborne gets hurt. Yeah, um, there's definitely a sum. So, I mean, I, I think for me, uh, I like taking those guys who are being, you know, kind of overlooked because of some of the new young town that came into town. Uh, so I think Robert Woods is a good example where, yes, like Traylon Burks is being drafted, it was drafted very high in the draft, he's being very drafted high in best ball right now, but if you told me that Robert Woods is the number one wide receiver on that team, that wouldn't shock me at all. Like he was a very, very good wide receiver the past few years with the Rams. And so having him be like, like, Hey, I don't really want to draft like Ryan Tannehill. I don't really want to go for that full stack in Tennessee, but Robert Woods is a one-off. I kind of like that. Uh, another one that I would say would be, uh, let me see. I'm flipping through. So Josh Palmer, um, 
Justin Herbert is being drafted very high. I think he's being overdrafted. Um, I'd rather have one of the kind of Lamars or Kyler's like a round or two later with the running uh, upside there than Herbert. So in that situation, I don't end up with many of the Josh Palmer stacks with Herbert. However, I think Josh Palmer, though, could substantially surpass his ADP. I mean, A, if he just gets that number three wide receiver role that it looks like he's positioned for, that's pretty valuable in that offense. Now, you throw in that Keenan Allen or Mike Williams. Mike Williams has had a history of injuries. You see one of those. He now increases his kind of target share. Like, that could be a boom pick, and he's only getting drafted in uh, about the kind of, I don't know, 140 ADP range last I saw. Do you have any sort of tight end strategy beyond get an elite one and try to stack them up? <laughs> um, yeah, no, I do. And so with DK, because it's 20 rounds, you're more able, you know, easily able to kind of go for a three tight end strategy. And uh, some interesting data point last year is we actually saw that four tight end strategies were wildly successful at advancing. Now, why was that? It's not because you actually are drafting for them, but it's the way that those you know, where people were drafting for, well, one, it means you probably didn't draft an early one or even a mid one. You probably just went with four very late. And last year we saw a decent amount of late tight ends actually break out. Dalton Schultz, Rob Gronkowski, um, Dawson Knox, a few others. And so for me, like, hey, when I have the 20 rounds of, you know, DraftKings, my strategy has heavily become like, I either want to get one of the elite ones with Kelsey, with Andrews, um, I've shied a little way from the pits and Waller over recently, but like not against those. Otherwise, I think there's substantial value at the end of the drafts and just taking three tight ends. Um, but when I draft my tight ends, I don't want to draft tight ends that I'm like, hey, I think this guy has a decent chance of falling into the end zone. I want to draft the tight ends that have the breakout potential. And that's where that strategy of drafting four was successful last year because people had a you had a more increased chance of having those tight ends that actually broke out. Dawson Knox having those big games, Dalton Schultz becoming such a core part of the offense. And so when I'm looking at those, who are those guys that I'm really targeting? Tyler Higby's one example. Tyler Higby fell down at the one yard line, I think like so many times last year. We've seen two years ago where Tyler Higby was actually the core focus part of some of those games. Um, I think McVay, like, yes, he loves the Cooper Cup. You brought Allen Robinson in, but we also know he's a, you know, he, he galaxy brains. He definitely game plans for that team. And often you'll see like, okay, maybe this game is going to be a Tyler Higby game. So he's got that spike week upside, but also is just on a very good offense. A um, couple others I would throw out there that are kind of in those late tight end range. Um, I think Robert Tanyan, Bob Tanyan, like his ADP right now, he might be the number two pass catching option on that team when he was healthy with Rodgers the year before, like his uh, end zone, um, kind of that rapport, that connection that they had for touchdowns was extremely impressive. And I think now that you throw in that, he's going to probably going to get a bit more targets between the twenties and be a more key part of that offense. Uh, I think he's another one that could, um, I wouldn't be shocked if he ends up being like a top seven, eight tight end this year. Trying to look at who we have in the projections who might fit that mold of going after pick 140 in terms of ADP, but still projecting inside the top 20, because then you can start playing with range of outcomes. A lot like Pat Fryermith last year, where, hey, I can envision a role for him in this offense. When is it going to come to fruition? Well, it might not be till week six, but that's okay if you have three other tight ends or two other tight ends. I'm thinking, I mentioned Noah Fant just because there are so few options in that Seattle offense that when you start getting like you know six for 66 and maybe a touchdown from someone at tight end, that looks a whole lot better than it does at wide receiver. People have fallen out of love with Logan Thomas at this point, but it's really Irv Smith who 
Everyone loved Irv Smith last year. It didn't come through. Tyler Conklin no longer there. So you would think like, oh, here we go again. Here comes the Irv Smith hype train, and it's nowhere. To, it's still at the station. And maybe it ran out of uh, coal. Maybe they can't go. Toot, toot. It's not going to work. But I don't know what it is. People don't seem to want to take him. I'll take him. That seems fine with me. I love Irv Smith. That was going to be the other one that I was pulling up, and uh, he's actually just above ADP and tiny when I was looking. But um, you like highly concentrated offenses? You like offenses that are actually productive and throwing a bunch? He fits that mold perfectly. And uh, we know from his player profile, from what we saw and kind of his actual talent, like he could be a breakout from a pure talent ability. He hasn't been able to stay healthy. He hasn't really shown his ability to be that core part of the offense. Um, and I think a lot of that is just the lack of kind of consistency and rapport being developed. But there's no number three pass catching option besides him. I mean, yes, Jefferson. Yes, Thielen are going to get theirs. Even Thielen, we know that his yards, um, his yards per route run have decreased year over year over year. Um, so there is an opportunity for Irv Smith to really, hey, cement himself as a focal part of that offense, as an athlete that can actually produce with yards after the catch, um, being a you know an end zone weapon. And uh, if those things can come together, yeah, I wouldn't be shocked if he also finished as a top seven tight end. Let's get out of here with this. What would be the final tips, just basic strategy that maybe that you haven't covered yet, and maybe a few things that people should not do when they are drafting their DraftKings best ball teams? Yeah, so number one tip I would say, and the thing that I'm really kind of continuing to focus myself is lean into uncertainty. Uh, when you find places that maybe make you a bit uncomfortable, everyone else is probably also uncomfortable there too maybe that's an opportunity for you to get some advantage and leverage in the field. Right now, those examples are Julio Jones. They're Will Fuller. Guys who aren't on a team, we're uncertain, we're scared, are they even going to play? Is Does Will Fuller actually have 10 fingers? We don't really have confidence in his ability to perform, so that's why their ADPs are so low. Lean into that, and you know what? Maybe you're wrong. Maybe actually those guys don't sign and you end up with a zero on the roster and you don't win that league hey, you probably weren't going to win that league anyways because you needed to finish top two of 12 and then you needed to finish one and then one. Like More often than not, these teams aren't going to work. But what if Will Fuller actually does go to the Ravens and becomes the number two option there and has like a an epic season? We know we've seen on a per-game basis ability to perform. What if Julio ends up going to the Packers and becomes a red zone threat there, ends up with a couple games where he has two touchdowns and becomes the key to you know winning your league and advancing even in the playoffs and he's being drafted so late so that's where i'd say lean into uncertainty and what not to do don't reach um that's the number one thing is we've seen data suggest time over time like hey if you're continuing to reach for players even if it's because you want to build your stack because you love them don't do it wait for them if that person doesn't fall for you that draft that's okay do another draft afterwards just don't reach what days and time are you going to be doing the establish the run best ball feeds every single week now? Yeah, we're excited. Uh, it is the best ball summer with yours truly. And uh, each Tuesday and Thursday, we'll be doing these live drafts. Um, I believe we're going to aim for about one o'clock on Tuesdays. Thursday, we'll go four o'clock a little later, maybe make it a bit more of a happy hour, fun draft be bringing on a bunch of people to the industry. Pat would love to have you come on one of these times during this summer. And uh, yeah, please join us. We'll uh, have some fun giveaways throughout the year as well. Uh, this is best ball summer. 
Justin Herzig, you can follow him on Twitter at Justin Herzig and check him out at EstablishTheRun.com. Thank you so much for being on the show, informing me, informing the audience of how not to be the worst DraftKings best ball players on the planet. It's very much appreciated, sir. Cheers. Thank you for having me. This has been very fun, and uh, I'll see you all in the draft rooms. That will do it on the Pat Mayo Experience. Reminder to smash the like. Check out part one to this show. Hit the YouTube feed, so sub to Mayo Media Network. Hit the podcast feed. Subscribe to the Pat Mayo Experience on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you download podcasts. Leave a rating and review up there, but only if it's good. No bad ones, because that's bad news for me. Good ones, good news for me, and good news for you, because I love doing giveaways around big times. We're going to have some huge giveaways for NFL DraftKings best ball season once August starts rolling around. So be on the lookout for that at the PME on Twitter for me. Thank you all for watching. I'll see you next time. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.